Hello everyone and welcome back to episode 2 of From Cult to Consciousness. Actually, let's let's hope that you're coming back and you're not just starting at episode 2 because if you are, I must make you aware that you will be lost. Uh, you need some context because the things that I'm about to speak about are frankly quite crazy. You will be more lost than a Chinese person trying to function and <laughs> trying to function in a Western world. So extremely lost. <laughs> so as I promised in the end of the last episode, I'm going to be talking about the end of the world and how I grew up believing in the imminent end time. Now, this is probably one of my more stark memories from my childhood, for obvious goddamn reasons. And I very genuinely, as a kid, actually remember thinking about what I was going to be doing when I was growing up, or at least when I grew up. And it was nothing like, say, working a normal job or starting a business, getting into relationships, traveling. No. It was more like being on the run, being chased by CIA agents, performing various miracles, and even being prepared to be killed, becoming a martyr for, for my beliefs. <laughs> it sounds so crazy saying it. <laughs> Imagine if someone asked me as a child, or my brother or something, like, what do you want to be when you grow up, sweet child? <laughs> sure, they'd be, they'd be shocked, and we would give them a heart attack with the answer. <laughs> but anyway, this is, this is the story that I'm about to, uh, it's about to tell you. So, you're probably thinking where the hell this belief came from that we believed in. And I'm going to try my best to give you <laughs> an organized, if that's even possible, explanation to this madness. <laughs> um, and let me know, let me, t let me tell you that it's, it's madness now. It was not madness at the time. At the time, it seemed completely rational. <laughs> Anyway, I'm going to try and stop laughing and just continue. So in this episode, I'm going to be covering a number of things. Things like, obviously, where this belief came from, when I stopped believing it, if at all, maybe I still believe in it. Hmm. I'm going to be talking about the detailed predictions of the signs of the end of the world and how it was all supposed to go down. And I say supposed to because we're still here, so <laughs> I don't think it went to plan. Um, I also want to draw a parallel from some of the group in the Bible's predictions and then link that to what's going on in the world today. You know, say things like coronavirus, Elon Musk with his company Neuralink, fascinating, 5G, uh, artificial intelligence, you know, all of the good stuff. So, let us begin. So, where do I even start? Let me start, actually, with a sip of my coffee. Because that is tradition. 
it's become tradition after two episodes. And uh, it seems to me that my brain can only function when I have this sweet nectar of life pouring down my throat. <laughs> okay, all right, let's begin. And I think where I would like to start is to go over who believes in the end of the world and where the hell these beliefs come from. So pretty much all religions, to my knowledge, believe in the end of the world. Say, for example, in Christianity, in the Bible's book of Revelations, it details Armageddon. And Armageddon is known as the final battle on earth between the forces of God and the scum that is Satan. In Hinduism, they offer a version in which Vishnu returns to battle evil and is depicted as this figure on a white horse coming to slay evil. In religions like Islam, the end of the world is referred to as the hour instead of Armageddon or the end time, and it involves Jesus returning to Damascus to slay the Antichrist, who is wreaking havoc on the world, naughty little bastard, <laughs> with, yeah, so with the Christ, with the Antichrist out of the picture, a period of perfect harmony would then ensue. Jesus is actually said to later then die a natural death, which, in my opinion, is very humble of him, considering he is a god. He doesn't, he doesn't have to die a humble death, you know, he can, he can live forever if he wants to, but it's good, good on him. Um, and after his death, that would lead up uh, to, well, let's say it would usher a time of destruction that directly leads up to the hour. So, frankly, it's, it's quite a beautiful, beautiful build-up. In religions like Judaism, there's actually no term for Armageddon in, uh, in Judaism, but there are references in the Hebrew Bible to events that could be compared with Armageddon. So, that would include, say, something like the Day of the Lord, in which God causes death and destruction to all of the people who deserve to be punished. And uh, perhaps one could call this Judgment Day. It certainly seems like the end of the world to me, so let's go with that. Now, these kind of predictions for the end of the world are not necessarily exclusive to religions, because we've all heard of those doomsday preppers and their elaborate precautions hiding out in their bunkers with the, their canned baked beans and dried meat and other various goods. And I think my intrigue, as of, you know, I think many other people are intrigued too, as to why the hell so many of us have this consensus that, in fact, we are moving towards the end of the world. Maybe it's just the wild eccentric of us that believe that, but let's, let's, let's flesh it out. Let's unpack this idea. So, to answer the question of why, let me take you on a trip. Now, the trip that I would like to take you on is neither hallucinogenic or psychedelic. It is not even that that could be described as the stumbling type. No, this trip is down memory lane.
Right, let us embark on this literal historic trip. Now, the leader of the cult that I grew up in, which is David Berg, he followed the messages of the Christian end of the world very closely. And trust me, he made it very clear to everyone that this shit was going down through, I think it was about 3,000 Mo Letters, which he wrote. Now, Mo Letters, extremely odd name. You're probably very curious. Mo Letters were these comic book-like pamphlets, magazines. I don't know. Let's just call them mini books. And they had all of his teachings in there. And obviously, one of his teachings was about the end time. So, and if you're wondering why the hell they're called Mo Letters, is because people in the group referred to him as Moses some of the time. I mean, his other names were like Grandpa and David and Dad and it, just a bunch of stuff. So anyway, they Moses, uh, sorry, Mo is short for Moses, so they called him Mo Letters. <laughs> anyway, so I remember very clearly that, I mean, reading these Mo Letters, one of the signs of the times described in one of these things or it could even be the Bible. But anyway, it's that one of the signs is that the moon will turn blood red, <laughs> right? And then the, the end time will come. But what I think that he forgot to mention is that this happens roughly twice a year. <laughs> so twice a year, if I saw it, I would be shocked and I would be thinking to myself, okay, the end of the world is about to go down. Let me prepare. And I don't know what preparation I'd be doing at seven years old, but I'm sure I could think of something at that wildly imaginative age. So I'm kind of fuzzy on what predictions were from the Bible and what were directly out of David Berg's teachings. But what I do know is that his teachings about the end time were made into those comic-like, uh, comic book-like drawings, which, as a kid, made us really get the point. You know, we are very visual at that age. And <laughs> I wonder if it even went through his head. You know, it'd be scary if it did. But, you know, hey team, let's, let's draw all of my teachings so that it is child-friendly. The end of the world teachings are child-friendly. <laughs> it's not something that I, I personally recommend being child-friendly, but they were. And um, I am here. <laughs> I'm here. Uh, and I wouldn't say too emotionally <laughs> traumatized. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not emotionally traumatized. Anyway. What I do know from the Bible is that people asked Jesus, when will we know the time has come, as in the end of the world? And he replied saying something like, you know, many shall come in my name, saying that they are Christ and they will deceive many. You will hear rumors of great wars Nations shall rise against nations, and there will be famines, there will be pestilences, and 
earthquakes in diverse places. Now, I remember reading that and thinking to myself, how bloody vague is that? Because people all throughout history have been claiming to this to be this savior-like figure, including, let me add, David Burke himself, which is ironic. But anyway, great wars? Yes. Uh, may I point out two world wars have been around since those predictions in the Bible? Um, <laughs> were they not great enough, those world wars? Famines? Pestilences? Yes. Well, a lot of countries have had their fair share of those too. Earthquakes? Yep, had a lot of those too. So, I don't mean to be facetious about all of this, but, you know, something like that leaves so much open for interpretation that every era seems to think that it's going to happen in their lifetime. And let's just be honest and clear at this point, I guess someone in some generation will be right. Like, I think that's probably something that we could all agree on, is that the world will end at some point, or maybe uh, maybe just us as a civilization. So at least points to someone, because someone will be right eventually. Right, also, from what I can remember being uh, told growing up, is that us Christians were going to be actively targeted, that we were going to be consistently and constantly on the run. And before I even go into detail for why the hell we were going to be targeted, let me give you a quick outline so we uh, of what we believed growing up, right? So to put it very simply, from what I can remember is that there is a powerful corrupt 1% that controls everything from the news to television to music to movies and that is why we weren't allowed exposure to any of these things growing up which in retrospect i'm actually very glad about but that is a topic for its own episode the motive of this one percent is to erect a one world government so that they can control everyone yes everyone even even the chinese and frankly speaking i think i think the chinese nation at this point is far beyond the possibility of control but who knows it may be possible um they will be doing this by creating a microchip that is implanted in your forearm or forehead and if you do not get it it is going to be impossible to function in society. Just like you can't really function in society without a cell phone or a bank account. Now, the way that the Antichrist will come into power is that there's going to be a time, a, a period of great tribulation. Economies will crash, natural disasters, epidemics, etc., and there will be the rise of the Antichrist that will miraculously come in and sort it all out. Fantastic news. And the solution to all of these problems would be things like the microchip and all of its disguised, sinister functions. Now we, the aware and the awake, uh, we would refuse to get with the program and that would result in extreme persecution. Now. I'm kind of blurry on the exact details 
uh, and how things go after that period. But it's supposed to be hell on earth, and then Jesus would return, thus triggering the rapture. Now this is where the party begins, because everyone who believes in Christ would be raptured to heaven and would be saved from all of the crazy things about to go down on planet Earth. And if you don't know what the rapture is, I think a great movie that that I would say does it justice is This Is The End. It's quite a famous movie. It's got a load of famous actors like Seth Rogen, Jonah Hill, um, the guy that played in Spider-Man 3. I can't even remember his name. But anyway, there was a bunch of people, like Rihanna, and uh, it's funny because some people get raptured, all of the good ones, and then there's other people that are left back down on Earth and they believe that they're terrible. Anyway, what the hell am I going on about? Let me just just stick to what... Stay on topic, bastard. Okay, so while we were still on Earth and shit's kicking off, we were actually going to be able to perform miracles as I mentioned in the beginning I think I don't even know if I did mention it or not but anyway we could perform miracles so if we were being chased down a tight corridor and we get to the end and it's a dead end there's no doors out maybe the doors are locked and we turn around and this seven-foot monster with muscles hanging off of his limbs says stop there you Christian boy I would turn around and be able to breathe fire and incinerate him. <laughs> so, that is that is what we believed. We were able to perform miracles. And so, <laughs> at this point, I know it all sounds very crazy and surreal, doesn't it? So, <laughs> and it's it is uh it's terrifying to think that you're going to be living through all of that, but uh <laughs> there was a part of me that kind of liked it, uh, for those reasons, especially. Be awesome. Now, to bring this back down to reality, um, I'm just going to go over what's happening in our modern-day world to see if any of these events and predictions could possibly resemble anything of what's going on nowadays. So, let me start off with my man Elon Musk fantastic guy. I know him personally. Um, And his project, Neuralink. Now, for anyone who doesn't know about Elon's Neuralink, yes, we're on a first name basis, um, his project, I'll give you a quick explanation and then we'll continue. So, everyone knows that artificial intelligence development is picking up a lot of speed in the last few years. I know. And uh, now with this being the case, there's always the worry of how sophisticated all of this AI will become. This has been a concern for a very long time. So perhaps it's it, it may become so sophisticated and powerful to the point where humans are seen to robots as shitting, pissing, emotional and irrational flesh bags that not only are self-destructive, but are also destroying the planet too, and are in dire need of depopulation. So, one of the person, one of the people that had this concern, maybe not exactly how I described it, 
but he had his concerns, and uh, that man's name is Elon Musk. So he had uh, so much of a concern that he voiced his concerns. Gosh, I'm really using it a lot of a lot of times. Um, he concerned he <laughs> he voiced his worries publicly, saying that AI could become an immortal dictator. Scary words. And he believes that the only way for us humans to live successfully with AI is to literally live with them, as in inside of us, to become symbiotic with artificial intelligence. It's pretty crazy. Now, this is where Neuralink comes into the picture. He's designing a microchip that is attached to these tiny hair strand sized wires which are inserted through your skull and attached to specific neural pathways, right? Now the microchip would simply sit on the outside of your skull performing whatever it wants to do. Well, maybe not what it wants to do, maybe what it's programmed to do. But the purpose of this initially (laughs) um, is to help people with brain damage and brain disorders. So if your brain was directly linked to AI, you could solve some of these problems. Sounds fantastic. And that's only the start because the way he explains it is that the rate at which we receive information from our technology is extremely slow. Like let's say you want to know the answer to how many miles away is the moon? You'd have to pull out your phone, type in the question, and then read the answer. I mean, that's insanely fast compared to 50 years ago, but it's not fast enough for my man Elon, because he wants to decrease that time by directly connecting our brains to AI, almost like a a cyborg, half human, half robot. And he makes the argument that we already are cyborgs. He says that, you know, if you look at our cell phones, we are with them 24-7. We sleep next to them. We sit on the toilet with them. If we leave them behind for, you know, if we go off to work or something and we leave them behind, we are going to turn our asses around and come straight back home. No matter what, I will be late. I won't even turn up that day. If I don't have my phone, there's no point because I don't even know how to get to work without Google Maps. So (laughs) that's his argument for it. And it makes sense because, you know, as of right now, anyone who has access to a smartphone has a far greater advantage in society than someone who doesn't. I mean, genuinely think about it. Do you know anyone that doesn't have a cell phone? I do not. Now, access, you know, a cell phone gives you access to any question that needs answering. You know, being able to stay connected with friends, applying for jobs, online banking, running businesses online, and the, and the list goes on forever. You are extremely advantaged, or <laughs> you have the advantage. Now, imagine the next technological leap. One where you're in a job interview with someone who has access to AI connected in their brain. You would stand no chance. 
And imagine if having AI microchips were as common as the smartphone. If you didn't want that microchip, it would be like refusing to use an iPhone. You'd be fucked. So <laughs> in some way, the government could use the fact that everyone is connected to this microchip, right, microchip in the future, as a way to control people, then yes, if that would, if this prediction you know, would happen and, and it is as crazy as it all seems, then fair enough. Fair enough to all of these conspiracy theorists that said that. But until that does happen, I'm going to remain skeptical and think that Elon is a great man without a bad bone in his body. Prove me wrong. Oh, and just to, to make it even more crazier, uh, even more crazy, sorry, terrible English. Um, they said that they're going to be starting human trials within the next year or two. Human trials within a year or two. This is beyond belief. But anyway, let me get on to my next point. Let's unpack the idea that there's going to be a one world government or commonly known as the new world order. Now, if you are anyone who's ever had even the slightest of suspicions as to what the elites of the world do with their spare time, you will know this term. So the term suggests that the elites of the world, the Freemasons, the Illuminati, etc., um, are secretly setting up this tyrannical, authoritarian style one world government in order to have complete control over the entire world. Now this is like the OG conspiracy. And what's so crazy about it is that whenever we look for evidence of some truth to a conspiracy, such as this one, we always can look in one direction. And that direction is the USA. I mean, <laughs> for God's sake, they have the all-seeing eye, the Illuminati pyramid, and the words, the new order of the ages, written in Latin, on the, the, the $1 bill. The government have time and time again been proven to have lied about certain operations. And then there's even events like the Edward Snowden saga brought to light. Like, if there is one government you cannot trust, it's the USA. They're shifty motherfuckers. <laughs> um, now, whether or not this means they're going as far as setting up a, a, a tyrannical secret leadership. I mean, it, it's frankly quite hard to believe, but it's not completely crazy. And if you didn't know about the whole Edward Snowden thing and who he is, uh, go check it out because he's basically someone who uh, worked for the CIA and uh, he was at such a high level that he knew the most secret. He had access to the most secret um, and and uh, protected information that they have. And some of the stuff that he uh, exposed to the public was that they were spying on just the general population. So having access to your microphones, to your camera, on your your laptop or your cell phone or whatever else. They were keeping your call logs, they still are. 
like a really annoying crazy shit uh, so yeah check them out i mean and that that's just one of the things that um this this uh, edward snowden fella um brings to light but anyway oh and also while i'm on this topic it's pretty crazy because yesterday i was i was on my pictures app on my iphone and if you've got an iphone i urge you to check this out because it's crazy so if you go into your photos on the bottom right corner there's going to be a little search button now what you can do is you can type in any sort of abstract word and that will come up in your photos so for example i was in bali a couple of or about a year ago and i was on the edge of this cliff a really beautiful scenic area and i was taking a little quick video and i whipped around it was like a five second video and in that you could see there was like these two people getting married right and it literally just skims past them one of them was in the wedding dress one was in the suit and in the photos there's a category saying wedding and pictures and videos of that sort were put into that category. So your camera knew that this was part of a wedding. And <laughs> I mean, I didn't, it, it's just beyond me how that's even possible. So I was like, okay, what else can this do? So I type in beaches. All of the pictures come up with me on a beach. I type in um, a certain place like Nando's all of the pictures come up with me in Nando's which there are many um, so when you're taking you know seamless uh, seemingly harmless pictures and stuff like that it's all put into your phone and they know exactly not saying they but if they did have access to this information they they know exactly who the hell you are where you go very often um, it's it knows who you're with. It's got little people icons, so you could type in, I don't know, your mother, put in your mother's name, and all the pictures of your mother will come up. And this is what they've given to the public. If the public has this kind of of technology, imagine what they have. So it's it's pretty freaky how much your phone really does know about you. So it's really interesting. Go check it out if you've got an iPhone. I'm sure Samson has the uh, equivalent. But anyway, as I digress, I think what is pretty crazy about 2020 and what's going on this year is that there are a lot of people, and I'm talking quite a few, uh, surprisingly, quite a few um, who believe that this whole coronavirus thing was not just some freak accident. Yes, hear me out. Um, and I won't go into too much detail about what they're saying, but from what I know about the subject, which is very little, not a lot, is that this virus was used to create fear in the public. And when there is fear, people are easily controlled and manipulated but if they were going to use something like coronavirus to create fear and inconvenience for the entire world then the solution to this problem would be welcomed right because we all know what a pain and a hassle it's been well this is where what people are, are talking about and they're talking about things like the vaccination um, being part of their bigger sinister plan 
And not only that, but there were talks of this app, and I know that they use it in a few certain countries like China, Singapore, where it tracks every single detail of your whereabouts throughout the day that would and, and that would allow you to go back outside and travel, etc. And without that app, you wouldn't be allowed to. So essentially, you'd be trading in your privacy for freedom. So in that aspect, it, it makes sense that it seems like, gosh, well, why do you want to know so much about us? You know, gosh. And it's not even, it's like, it's not a debate whether the government wants to know stuff about us because that's already been brought to light. That's public knowledge. That is not something that we could argue about. That is like legit. So we've got to think, okay, well, is there a certain agenda that they are trying to push? Or what are they doing with our information? Is it just as simple as trying to make money off of it? Or is it something more sinister? Which I guess is what we're discussing now. But anyway, um, I'm very agnostic about it all. <laughs> I don't know. So are all these efforts, are, are, are they all efforts to try and control the population in order to push a new world order? I don't know. What else is going on? Oh shit, <laughs> how could we forget 5G? Oh my God. Now people are claiming that the microwaves are harmful to human beings and 5G should be banned. Now this is crazy in my opinion because 5G would be something that changes so much for everything, right? I mean, if you know anything about 5G, the the uh, abilities that it's going to give us are unimaginable. They're crazy. So one of them is, you know, if you're someone that's at war, say you're in Afghanistan, you get your leg blown off, you could be operated on by a machine. Now, on the other end of that machine could be the, the best of the best um, doctors that could operate on you. And this person could be in New York and he could operate you, operate on you in real time because of 5G, because it's so fast. Um, Self-driving cars, that would be common. It would be easy. I know there's, there's a, it's around now, but uh, it would be so much easier. And I know people are saying that, you know, it's, it's, it's part of their plan to you know, fritz out our brain and create a dumb population so they can control us, but I don't know. I just think that people in this aspect are, are very hesitant to change because they did this about 3G, they did this about 4G, saying that it was gonna fuck us all up, and um, now they're, they're doing it to 5G too. So it's understandable because change for some of us, some personality types, we hate change. And if you think about all the, the old ladies and, and, and men out here, just imagine how crazy this all sounds. Like you've grown up with the television, the black and white television being like the, the craziest, most mind-blowing thing in the world. And now you're dealing with Elon Musk's and microchips and artificial intelligence and, <laughs> and self-driving cars. It's a lot to take in. You know, all in one lifetime, I understand why the older generation are so very hesitant. Like the younger people, people my age, we're kind of open to it all. 
I mean, I'm not speaking for everyone my age, but I haven't had any conversations that are like, no, ban 5G. It's, it's, it's always been the older generation. But anyway, so maybe, maybe some of you out there that are older generations want to embrace it. It's, uh, it's great. Anyway, um, now I think, no, actually, I'm going to change that. Actually, I know that there are some dodgy conspiracies that have turned out to be true, which genuinely freak you the fuck out. But that reaction alone takes you down a slippery slope. Because if you hear something like the Edward Snowden thing, and you know that the government want to have um, this, this very detailed description of who you are and what you've done and all of that, and then you're like, oh my God, the government who is supposed to be looking after me, the, the, the people who are supposed to have my interests at, at, at their top priority, like this is the government that we're talking about. And they want to exploit us. I think once, once that is there, it takes you down a slippery slope because then you're like, great, well, what, what is true? Everything can be, uh, could be real now. And that's what's dangerous. But I think that... The biggest reason why people believe in conspiracies um, and even involve themselves in religion in that matter is because it makes sense of arguably a senseless world. Now, this is completely my own opinion, and if you believe for any other reason, that's fine. But it's funny because it seems to me that the people who believe in God always seem to have the tendency to be interested in conspiracy theories too. And I think that the fundamental reason to why is because if a person believes in God, that belief gives this certain sense of understanding, a certain sense of stability, a certain sense of meaning to life. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if, if something terrible happens in life, you could see it in two ways. Either that it's just a randomly annoying event that's totally fucked everything up. Or, conversely, on the other hand, the belief that it's all part of God's plan for your life. And you just need to trust the process. Now, those two beliefs put side by side one of them offers a lot more stability to your life and it's and it doesn't seem so meaningless and i think that the belief in conspiracies provide the same thing it makes one feel that there is someone in control regardless of what direction they may be taking the world nevertheless there is a plan and when shit goes down it's somehow part of it and because someone's created that plan it can't be disastrous otherwise they wouldn't have done it so it can never be too bad if you get what I mean but I think that the idea that there is no one really in control and we're all just figuring it out as we go along that is a much tougher and scarier pill to swallow so I understand why people believe in conspiracies. And I think speaking at this level, I think for whatever reason someone believes, I think that 
belief alone is important. And one quote comes to mind when saying that. And the quote is that if you do not stand for something, you'll fall for anything. So these conspiracy theorists, or even just anyone that believes in religion, have a clear set of values and they fight for them relentlessly. You know, if we didn't have these wild, crazy, eccentric conspiracy theorists, I think um, a lot less awareness would be around of all of the real dodgy shit that the government is, is getting up to and trying to pull on the public. There would be a lot less of that. And, you know, at least there are people out there trying super hard to bring evidence to light. Who knows what might happen if we all unanimously dismissed all conspiracies. I think that that would allow a lot more leeway for Machiavellian uh, tendencies. At least there's someone to call shit out. And I think <laughs> I mean, all of these conspiracies are crazy, but I think that a sign of an intelligent man is a person who can entertain opposing wild ideas without having to accept them. You know, keeping an open mind is important because there are a lot of bizarre, crazy things going on that no one would believe on face value. And to have an open mind and entertain them to go past face value is um, is to, to, to find out for yourself. And just remember that it's just as lazy to dismiss everything you hear than it is to believe it all. So, you know, entertaining without accepting is probably a good rule of thumb, I'd say anyway. So, well, I think at this point, what the, what the hell do you think? <laughs> do you think that there's a, a hidden agenda behind all that's been going on in the world as of late? Or is it just random shit and people are injecting meaning into things that there are none? There are no meaning in. Ah, oh, well, either way, I enjoy talking about this, this topic a lot. And I think that I covered quite a bit about my upbringing. And on the end of the world, you'll be happy to hear that I am no longer preparing for destruction. Rather, <laughs> rather I'm, I'm doing my best to lay down strong foundations for a long and hopefully prosperous future. Yes. <laughs> um, in my next episode, I'm going to be talking about a huge subject, which I'm super excited for. Uh, and that's growing up without the bombard bombardment. <laughs> Of media and it's never been a bigger subject than it is today as it's literally shaping a whole generation and I want to dissect it I want to understand it I want to understand the effects psychologically it has on the general population and uh, growing up without it see the differences in my way of thinking and perspective and understanding as opposed to someone who's grown up with it for their entire life, I guess. 
we'll understand the magnitude of it all in my next episode. So if that sounds like something you'd like to understand with me, please join me in my next episode and journey from cult to consciousness. <laughs>